So two weeks ago, we began to look at chapter 2, which is, I guess, one of the first of the many letters um, of these seven churches that talks about in, in, in Revelation. Now, each of these letters, of course, is tailor-made to the specific situation that we find there. As we mentioned already, of course, these many letters are much to a much wider audience. They're, of course, written to the whole church, which includes us. So they are relevant into our situation as much as any situation. But perhaps one of the words, I guess, that sums up these letters is the word victory. So there is hope. There's always hope in Christ. The Greek word that is, uh, comes through here in each of these, each of these um, seven letters is victory. It's one of the big themes of the whole book of Revelation, of course. In fact, the Greek word Nike, or Nike, however you want to pronounce it, is the word for victory or for conquest. So if you've seen, if you've got on your trainers that swoosh of Nike or on your sportswear, as you're out jogging this evening, um, you know that... You'll, you'll, you'll laugh. <laughs> so that, it's, it's not a tick. It's not some sort of check mark. That swoosh stands for victory. But as we come to this, we see the victory throughout this section of Scripture to this church in Smyrna. Now, there's also military language that is used here throughout this story. And just, just a constant reminder to us that we are in a spiritual battle. And the challenge for us is this. Will we be seen as conquerors? Or will we be conquered? And it's so important that as Christians we have just a really realistic understanding of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. You know, it's not easy. Life is not always simple. We've, we've heard testimony already about that today. Listen, there are challenges that each one of us will face in life. That is the reality. In fact, Jesus himself says that we need to take up our cross and follow him. That's the truth of God's word. And so important that we understand this. But we, also, but we must also remember that Jesus Christ is in charge of every situation of his people. And he rewards those who overcome. But as we begin to look at this, we need first of all to just be honest with ourselves. In fact, honest about the challenges that we do face. And we must never be complacent about them. But more than anything else, we need his grace in our lives to help us through the challenging and difficult times, to help us to simply remain faithful to Jesus. So one of the personal stories that comes out from around this time when John was writing to the church in Smyrna is about a man called Polycarp. I'd never heard of him before, to be honest, I read this, but uh, you may have. He knew about the apostle. Sorry, he knew the, the apostle Paul personally. In fact, he later on became the bishop of Smyrna. And Polycarp was thought to be around 27 years old when this letter would have arrived on the doorstep of the church in Smyrna. This man was known to care for his people. In fact, he's known to spend a lot of time just um, working with them, preaching in the towns. But in 155 AD, as an old man, he was falsely accused, he was arrested, he was sentenced to death. The governor promised to release him 
if he denied Christ. This is his reply. Eighty-six years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I then blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp was burnt alive. Let me read you the letter that he received at 27 years old. To the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who said they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all at the second death. And one of the key truths that comes through this book of of Revelation that we need to grasp is that we are in a time of spiritual warfare. And in this battle between God and the enemy, Satan, the front line is the local church. Because this is where Satan attacks are absolutely focused. And he knows that he is powerless to do anything against God or even to even think about taking God down. But like a terrorist, he targets the family of God. And this is exactly what he's doing in the church in Smyrna. Now, Smyrna would have been a difficult place for people to, to live as a Christian. This was a city that had a very strong allegiance to Rome. In fact, the temple of worship there was to the goddess of Rome, long before the Roman Empire was even that powerful. Today, it's still the third largest city in Turkey, called Izmir. But what really caused the problem of the persecution to these Christians in Smyrna was to be so severe, to be so horrific, was the large number of hostile Jews that sided with the Roman authorities against the Christians. So persecution there was just simply widespread. It is thought that something like six million Christians were killed at that particular time of history. So when you think about this church, you think persecution. The reality, if you were a Christian living in Smyrna, alive at that particular time, the reality for you, you'd probably be unemployed. If you refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord, you'd find it almost impossible to get work. And as soon as you declared your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you'd probably be fired on the spot. Women were regularly raped and killed by the Romans, especially if they were seen attending the underground church. Your children would have been refused an education. They would have been spat upon in the street because of your faith. 
How would you respond if your child came to you and said to you, Daddy, Mummy, is this really worth it? So it's no surprise as the Lord Jesus speaks to this particular church that he emphasizes his death and his resurrection as he opens this message to the church in Smyrna. Because in every difficult situation that they are facing, in fact, in every difficult situation that you are facing, Jesus can identify with them. He knows what you're going through. He knows about the challenges and the difficulties. In fact, he has faced those bits. He has faced the persecution. He has faced the, the, the accusations and the false things that have been said against him. He faced death itself. He understands and he knows exactly what you're going through. And it is Jesus who addresses the angel of the church. And this angel then takes the message to this church in order to help and to encourage them. And this message goes out in heaven but also across the earth and the believers are warned of the dangers but also encouraged see in the depths of despair and actually under tremendous amount of pressure to give up or die these words would have come at just the right time for them but also it would have been an encouragement for them to keep on going to keep on being witnesses to keep on being strong in their faith so listen if you have ears to hear, listen to the message and be encouraged because the saviour of the believers in Smyrna is your saviour this morning. I don't know if you've ever gone or found yourself in a place where your whole world seems to have fallen apart and you just don't understand what's going on or even begin to describe how you feel. You love Jesus. You follow him, you obey him, and you, you just don't or can't understand why things have got so hard. Yet through no fault of your own, you're being slandered with evil, hostile words. You're emotional, you're tearful, you're confused. You feel as if no one seems to understand. But this message to this, of this letter is that someone does understand. Someone really understands. In verse 8, Jesus, who calls himself the first and the last, who died and came back to life, speaks to the person who feels lost, who feels confused, who feels alone, beaten by the trials and the difficulties of life and the, just the circumstances that seem to be spiraling out of control. Jesus describes himself as the first and the last. He is the one who goes in front of you who leads, who directs your path. He is the light for every step that you take, the good shepherd who leads you and calls you forward. But he's also the one who comes behind. The one who looks out for the stray sheep, who sees the one limping at the back, who, who picks them up and who carries them home. He is the one who is the first word in creation, who sustains life, the one who gives and the one who takes away but he's also the one who has the final say, the last word in judgment. He is the one who faces death and has faced death. Who says, I've been there before you. I died, but I'm alive. I broke death and victory. I extend to you. So who understands? 
Jesus does. And because he understands, you know, it matters a lot less whether anybody else really gets it or not, because he understands he has the power to hold you in the palm of your hands, to hold this world, to hold even death in his hand. So we turn to him. We find our comfort, we find our strength, we find our hope in Jesus Christ. Charles Swindle writes, he says, Jesus speaks into the universal language of suffering and he extends hope to a church thirsty for encouragement. So what is it that Jesus understands? What, what is it that he, that he knows? Well, the first thing it says, he, he knows your afflictions. This is verse 9. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogues of Satan. So the, the classic Greek example of this, of affliction, is this picture of a rock that is just cut, crushing all that is beneath it. And this, this picture of what it is to be trapped, there's no escape there, and seriously, they're in grave danger. And for the believers in Smyrna, this was their reality. They were living in abject poverty. They possessed absolutely nothing. They would have been homeless, most likely. Their property had been confiscated, unemployed, in fact, unemployable. They were refused their basic human rights. Their persecution would lead to death for many and for beatings for, for many more. And Jesus said, I know this, but I also know that you're rich. Now, this seems like such a contradiction, doesn't it? Perhaps the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 are very helpful here. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the church in Smyrna lived out the words of Jesus. In fact, they lived for these eternal values that could never change, riches that could never be taken away from them. In fact, their suffering for Jesus only increased their riches. It's so important that we remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the enemy, Satan. But actually, more often than not, he actually chooses to use people to accomplish his purposes. That's why Jesus calls these traditional Jews Satan worshippers. Seems a bit strong, perhaps, but this sort of controversial description of this Jewish synagogue as the synagogue of Satan. But what, what Jesus is really saying here is that the true Jew are those who accept Jesus as the Messiah. So any religious group, whether it be Jewish or Gentile, that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, as the Son of God, is actually acting against God's will. Highlighting that we are not, it's not about rituals. It's not even about what comes out of our mouth that matters. This is an issue of the heart. A heart that has been changed in response to the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outwardly and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. A circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And as your heart has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you are rich. You are rich. The true inheritors of the promise of the blessing of Abraham. And if your heart has been changed by the Holy Spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the genuine thing, the real article, and you're rich. Wealth that cannot be measured. In fact, it's, it's, it's just impossible to count. It's just as difficult as to count the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. So you're rich beyond measure. You have the riches of his grace, the glorious inheritance, the riches of eternity, glory, the promise of all his wisdom and all his understanding. But I don't think most of us get this. I'm not sure I do sometimes. We don't really fully understand this. And if you are a Christian, having repented of your sins and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, you are rich beyond measure. But too often, what we see is the difficulties. We see the problems. We see the situations that, that yeah, have caused a great deal of suffering in our lives. And then nothing else. And Jesus says, I see those difficulties. I see those sufferings but I also see the riches of my grace at work in your life. And we see the slander, or we hear the words and the lies that are being spoken about us or even over us, and we see nothing else. And, and Jesus, Jesus says, I, I, see, I see those lies, I see those slanders, words, but I also see how you live, how you obey, and you are rich. Because of me, you're rich. Maybe all you can see is your lack of money or finance. Maybe even, maybe even lack of food. And Jesus says, I see your physical hunger. But I see that you are spiritually nourished. And because of that, you're rich. You have the ultimate unlimited resources of heaven. And you're rich. Because of me, you're rich. But not only does he know your afflictions, he knows that you're going to get through it. Verse 10. Jesus says, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. This persecuted church was certainly didn't enjoy the approval of men, but it did enjoy the praise of God. It's worth noting that every other church that Jesus addresses of these seven churches, this is the only one that is not condemned for some area of sin. I'm sure they're not perfect, but they were faithfully relying on God. So listen to the words that Jesus spoke over them. Don't be 
afraid. There's no promise here that they're going to be delivered from suffering or even that life is going to get any easier for these Christians at all. Instead, there's going to be more attacks from Satan. There's going to be more imprisonment. Things are actually not going to get any easier for these guys, not even for a moment. Poverty, prison, and martyrdom. That's what's ahead of them. And we find this difficult to understand in our situation, in our in living in, in, in Chester. Those things seem so far and so alien from us. Yet, however, this is a reality for many people in many parts of the world today. For us, perhaps slander and false accusations are maybe much closer to home. But listen, whatever form persecution comes in, suffering is something that the devil wants to try and use to derail God's people. And Satan tries to use suffering just to undermine our faith, but actually wonderfully so often it actually has the opposite effect. It's so important that we keep praying that this would be the case for our lives, in fact for our church. But also as we pray that as well, we should never forget to pray for those Christians and those churches in other parts of the world who are facing physical persecution, even death, because of their declaration to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps for our brothers and sisters in countries like Syria, Sudan, North Korea. They're living out verse 10 right now. So pray that they wouldn't be afraid. Pray that they'd be faithful to God. Even as they look unto death, they would look past it and look through it to Jesus. For many people in those persecuted churches like Smyrna, their only deliverance from suffering will come through death. So it begs the obvious question, what on earth is there to be encouraged about? I want to finish just with three thoughts that Jesus mentioned in these last two verses, verse 10 and verse 11, of three things that we can be encouraged about even in the middle of a really tough time. The first is this. God only tests those who belong to him. And that is what he's doing here for the church in Smyrna. You know, it's probably only when we fully lose everything and that we can still rejoice in Christ because in losing it all we realize that he is your everything only then will you know whether Jesus Christ is really enough and then you will understand the riches that you have through Christ so that even if you face death you walk with joy because you can say with all of your heart I am his, and he is mine. And nothing can destroy that. And if you're suffering, and the challenges that you face actually bring you closer to Jesus Christ, and you grow more like Christ through them, Jesus says that is something that you should be encouraged about. He's shaping you. He's changing you. He's working in your life. The second thing, it says that God only tests for 10 days. And Jesus is saying here that this test was not going to last forever. In fact, it won't last long. Now, some writers think that the number 10 actually refers to 10 periods of persecution. Some think it's a reference to Daniel's testing in Babylon. 
where he proved God's power and God's faithfulness. Others just simply think it was a symbolic period of time that would have a definite end. Whatever the, whatever the um, significance, one thing is certain. When God allows testing, he proves himself to be faithful and then he will end that suffering either by changing the circumstances or by taking you home to be with him. And this should lead us to rejoice and to be encouraged because either way around, he is in control and the suffering will not last forever. An end is coming. The third thing is this. God rewards faithfulness. The important thing in all of this is to be faithful. To be victorious, you need to be faithful. Verse 10 says, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So what is Jesus' call over your life? Have you thought about it? Most of us have at some time or other. What is Jesus calling us into or to be? It's simply this. Be faithful. What really pleases Jesus is not becoming successful in some area of ministry. It's not becoming rich. It's not becoming a church planter or an elder or any one of other things that you may have in your mind. Not, that, not of course, that any of those things are wrong. All that he asks of you is that you faithfully, that you, you serve him faithfully where he has put you right here, right now. You may become many of those things. And I hope you become many more, perhaps. But all those things are worthless unless you walk in faithful obedience to Jesus. But actually the reverse is also important. You know, Jesus is not asking us to learn to like suffering or to, or to like poverty or to become some sort of masochist who wants to inflict physical pain upon ourselves. You don't have to put a false smile on your face. But even in the pain with the tears in your eyes, honor Jesus, be obedient don't fall into sin or deny Christ. Stand firm and you will receive your reward, a crown of life. Run after Christ. Run after Jesus. The crown of life is a reference, of course, to the winner's crown that was awarded to the annual athletics games. It would have been a wreath that's probably worn upon the head for everyone who finished the race. Smyrna, of course, was a key participant in the games, so this promise would have probably quite special meaning to those believers who lived there. It was because of their faithfulness, of their trust in Jesus Christ, that they were overcomers, victors in the face of life. And Jesus says, as overcomers, they had nothing to fear, even death. They would be taken into glory, and they would never face the awful judgment of the second death. Everyone will face the first death. It's the ultimate statistic in life, unfortunately. One out of every one person will die. There's no getting around it. But it's only those who have never received Jesus into their life who are not saved that will face the second death. The second death is talked a little bit later on in, in Revelation 20 and 21. 
But our Lord wants us not to be afraid of the first day at the end of our physical life here on earth, but he wants us to be concerned. He wants us to be afraid of the second death, the eternal death of hell. But Christians, if you are a Christian here this morning, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Now you may struggle to find encouragement from the fact that belonging to Jesus is going to mean testing. Also, you might, find it, you might not find it maybe much consolation that your suffering isn't going to last for very long. So why not look at the prize? The crown of life, eternal life, the joy and the blessing that is yours through Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, your hope for now and for all of eternity. Look at him. And live faithfully before him. Derek Redman ran for Great Britain. He took his lane, lane number five, at the start of the 400 metre semi-final in the 1992 Games in Barcelona. He'd been battling through a catalogue of injuries over the previous few years, but now he was standing there. His thoughts at that moment must have gone back to the 1988 Games in Seoul, when he experiences the heartbreak of having to withdraw from the Games just moments before the start of the finals. Since then, he had undergone five operations, mainly on his Achilles tendon, but he was there. And at last, he was feeling fit, he was running well, he had every chance of making the Olympic final. He got a good start. All was going well. About 150 metres into the race, disaster struck. Redmond heard a pop. His right hamstring gone, torn. He collapsed onto the track in pain. His race was over. His Olympic Games shattered. Stretcher bearers rushed to his aid, but he was determined that he was not going to be carried out of the arena. He desperately wanted to finish the race. So he stayed in his lane and he hopped and he hobbled towards the finish. Redmond's father, Jim, saw the tragedy just unfolding before his eyes and seeing his son in so much pain, he could not sit there any longer. He rushed out of the stands onto the track. By this time, Redmond was hobbling around at the bottom corner. Jim ran up to meet him and said, you don't have to do this. I've got to finish, came the reply. Okay, said Jim, we started your career together, we're going to finish this race together. As that Jim put his arm around his son's shoulders, he held his hand and together they set off towards the finish, son leaning against father and sobbing. As they approached the finish line, Jim let go of his son so that he could take the last few steps on his own. The crowd of 65,000 people stood to applaud Redmond home. It's the day coming. We've heard already when we will meet our Saviour, meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the crown of life is just infinitely greater than anything this world could ever offer us. Yet the truth remains, you are not alone, even in your pain. You know, it costs to dedicate your life to Jesus. 
cost to stand up for him at school, in your workplace. But whatever you face, press on towards your home, to your great reward, and be sure that your Father in heaven will help you every step of the way. Be faithful. Be faithful to him. Let's just stand and pray. Father, we do stand before you and we, Father, I pray we give our lives to you. Just afresh this morning. Father, your call over us is to be faithful, is to obey, is to honor you, is to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus, to run well, to finish well. And Father, we need your help in this. Lord, thank you for the promise of your word that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you are with us, that you fill us, Lord, that you are the strength that we need, that you are the encouragement that we need. Lord, you are our hope for now and forevermore. So, Lord Jesus, we look to you. And Father, I do pray, Lord, for my friends here this morning that we, Lord, just open our eyes to see you in all your splendor, in all your wonder, in all your power. For those who are struggling, for those who are going through difficult challenges, Lord, even at this moment, Father, to just know your peace, your strength, that they would know your arm around them. And Lord, be with them. And Father, as they walk, as they run, perhaps even, Lord, as they limp along, that they would walk faithfully with you every step. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.